This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Get Booked is sponsored in part by Book Riot Insiders. You can bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial for insiders when you sign up for a monthly or yearly novel subscription. The first 14 days for any of those things are free. You can wishlist upcoming releases that you're dying to read, get exclusive podcasts and newsletters, and enter to win swag. And the new release index is curated by all the books host Liberty Hardy, and that will help you keep track of the most exciting upcoming books. So Come on in. Your bag of bookish perks is waiting. Go to bookriot.com slash insiders to find out more. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 156, and we are recording on November 6th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot's Anxiety Hour. <laughs> midterm day, and no one is doing any work. <laughs> I, have, I have so much work to do today, too, and I just don't know how it's all going to happen, but... I can't stop look at, just watching Twitter. Like, nothing is happening, you know? Right. Obviously, right. the polls just opened, like, the day has just begun, but I can't stop looking at it. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I was enjoying everybody's voting selfies, so that's yeah, nice. That's I'm nice. just going to try to focus on the positive. I feel like it's more. It's, it's, I'm, I'm getting more this selfies is my hope. on the Instagram yeah. than I did uh, in 2016, which is nice. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. I like your what are you reading? <laughs> yeah, it literally says in the agenda, nothing, don't at me. Um, <laughs> I So this was a really heavy podcast reading week for me because this is also the week I'm on all the books. Mm-hmm. And so all I was reading was stuff for either this show or that show. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have nothing for you that I have not, I'm not going to talk about in the next hour or that I didn't talk about on there. So... That's what I'm reading. There what you about go. you? <laughs> uh, I am reading The Dead Duke, His Secret Wife, and The Missing Corpse by Puy Marie Eatwell. Did you? Which is the best title I've ever it's seen. I have no so idea what this is. Great. So I have this like buddy read two person book club with Bob, who is Rebecca's <laughs> husband, because we are both big giant history nerds. So we read these like just goofy bonkers history books. And he picked this one, and it is about. A, a Duke of Portland in the Victorian era of England, the fifth Duke of Portland, who may or may not have led a secret double life as a man named T.C. Druce, who was like a middle class curtain maker who had like a wife and six children. <laughs> um, and one of the children marries a woman named Anna Maria. And after everyone has died, Anna Maria decides that her father-in-law faked his death so that he could go back to his life as the fifth Duke of Portland. And in reality, her son is the, like, true heir to this dukedom. And so she, like, comes out of the workhouse with this claim, and the book is about the investigations that went on into her claim that her kid is, in reality, the heir to this dukedom because the real duke faked his death and, like, there was no body in his coffin and all. It's just bonkers. It's just bonkers, bonkers, bonkers fun. It's super interesting and weird. But that's what I'm reading. <laughs> well, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And there's a lot of, like, side, 
not rants, but like the author goes on a lot of side tangents about other prominent Victorian men who also had secret double lives as like middle-class nobodies, like Dickens, two secret mistresses who he lived with under assumed names and like who lived down the street from each other and never knew about each other. It's just, just ev all, everything is fascinating is what's happening. <laughs> wow. Wow. <sighs> okay. So how this show works. As I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a reading rec for yourself or your book club or a gift or whatever, you can send those to us. You can email them to us at getbooktobookguide.com. You can also drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. If you use the form uh, and your question is time sensitive, please put that in big letters at the top of the form. If you email us, please put it in the subject line. We might email you back if we're not going to get to your question in time or if we already answered it on air and we've got answers for you, you know, ready-made in past episodes. We'll send you those. Um, and yeah, oh, I should probably go ahead and say if you are going to be needing holiday recommendations, mm. please get those in ASAP because we will start answering those, um, you know, pretty soon as we approach the holiday season. That's bonkers. It's already... It's already it's time to do this stuff. Um, okay, we don't have any feedback. So Jen's going to read our first question. I'll tell you about our first sponsor and we will roll on. All right. Our first question is from Kyla and Kyle, matching names, love it, uh, who says, my husband and I recently started, quote unquote, reading books together. He listens to the audiobook because he is a busy MA student and drives a lot while I enjoy reading physically. We just finished Bird Box and both really enjoyed it. My husband is the finicky reader. He enjoys Stephen King and thrillers. We have Dark Matter by Blake Crouch on our to read list. I tried recommending Into the Drowning Deep, but the mermaids were too far. Um, I would like recommendations for thrillers or suspense with some supernatural happenings, happenings and at least one likable slash smart character. He has read most of Stephen King, whereas I really enjoy fantasy novels. I can do most horror or suspense. Um, please stay in the adult category, and I would need a trigger warning for violence against women and children. All right. All right. Our first question, our first question, our first sponsor is Penguin Random House Audio Book Club Edition. So keep up with your book club reading by listening to the audiobook, which is exactly what I did for my last book club pick. We, my book club is reading H's for Hawk by Helen McDonald, um, which mm. is like a great memoir about a woman who handles her grief by taking up falconry and like training a hawk to hunt. Um, it's really, really fascinating. And is also low key about T.H. White and how he was a sadist, which I was not prepared for going into that book. But there it is. Uh, and so I listened to that on audio and it's such a great way to get your book club in because it like sneak that way it doesn't sneak up on you. I don't know if you have this kind of book club experience, but I'll be looking mm -hmm. at my calendar and like, oh, book club is in three days and I haven't even gotten it from the library. Like I'm in so much trouble. And then I just don't read it. So I've started trying to listen to all of the picks on audio and it's been much more, my completion rate is much more effective. So if you go to tryaudiobooks.com, you can listen to some new releases like One Day in December by Josie Silver, read by Eleanor Tomlinson and enjoy a whole new book club experience. So they've got more listening suggestions for you. Also, if you're looking for a next pick for your book club, go to tryaudiobooks.com slash bookriot. And thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay, my pick does have a trigger warning for violence against women and children and, and everyone. It's pretty violent. Um, uh, but yes, the first instance of violence in the book is a child. So there you go. Um, it is Broken Monsters by Lauren Bucus. Uh, and this is a, it plays at first as like a pretty typical murder mystery 
uh, takes place in Detroit. The main character is the detective who's in charge of solving the crimes. Her name is Gabriella Versado. She is like a single mom with a teenage daughter. But the farther you get into following the crimes, which the book opens with a body being found of a boy, the top half of his body is sewn onto the bottom half of a deer. So you already know it's like some weird weirdness happening here, like not run of the mill kind of violence. And then more bodies are found with these kind of really odd mutilations um, and like bizarre fusions and just in all sorts of really odd states. Um, and so while this is happening and Versado is trying to solve these crimes, her daughter at the same time is getting involved online with someone, she's catfishing on purpose, like for funsies, a predator online. Um, and then there's also a, just the worst character ever, Jono, who's this freelance <laughs> journalist who's like come to Detroit to basically exploit the dying city, right? And try to try to find an, an angle of how to cover Detroit. And the three of them um, all get entangled, the daughter and the detective and this journalist, all get entangled in um, what's going on with this serial killer. But, the, but there is like a, a supernaturally kind of bent to the story that really makes it stand apart from, I think you're kind of you know, like, quote-unquote, typical sort of slasher novels. It's it's very atmospheric. Detroit is definitely a character in the book. And it's just generally really, really creepy. Um, so you're, you're, like, you're in it for the whodunit, but you're also in it for the, like, wait, is it a ghost? Like, what? <laughs> like, it's just very WTF exclamation points all over the place. And I loved it so much. So that's Broken Monsters by Lauren Bucus. Cosine. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to mention, you probably noticed, but in case you didn't, our previous episode was Stephen King Readalikes. Uh, so you might find some good stuff there, too. Um, I picked for you to My Soul to Keep by Tanana Reeve Du, which also has graphic violence and harm to women and children. Um, most thrillers slash hard do. It's a thing. Um, but yes, uh, you will make it through, though, because I made it through, and I think this one's worth it. Um, and this is such an interesting book because it is a thriller with the supernatural baked in from the beginning, sort of, but it doesn't feel supernatural. It all feels super real, which I think just heightens the eeriness. Um, one of the main characters is David, who is immortal. Like, he, he can be killed, but he always comes back. Um, he cannot stay dead for long um and he has been alive for like more than 400 years um and he is now living in miami like uh used to be a professor is married has a daughter um and his wife and child have no idea that he is immortal he's just like posing as like your average like dude um and jessica his wife is a journalist a very ambitious journalist and she is like as far as she knows like her husband david is like very loving caring father you know great guy um and then strange things start to happen uh people around her start to turn up violently dead and she starts to find out that her husband is maybe not who she thought he was um, and things kind of like crank up from there. Uh, it is really interesting also because it is, it like Jessica and David are both black and, uh, Tanana Reeve Du is a black author and you don't get a ton of immortal black characters in sci-fi fantasy or horror. It just doesn't happen very often. And so, um, so you get David's perspective on the last 400 years 
as, you know, a man who cannot die but still can experience violence, um, including that he is in America during slavery and experiences the worst that that uh, had to offer. Um, and so it is dark, it is violent, but it's a really different perspective for supernatural horror and thrillers. And it does feel so real. Like, it's, it's, it's really creepy how real and plausible it all feels inside of the book. Like, there's definitely some, like, supernatural like hand waviness but it still feels really legit um and that's a real feat and it's a it's it's a really good and it's if you guys like it it's the start of a series so there's more um and Tanana Revdu generally speaking you should just read her um so that's my soul to keep it's the first in the African Immortals series again by Tanana Revdu Alrighty. Question two is from Jenny, who said, I would love ideas for books that are relationship-focused but have intellectual conversation, like my favorite movies, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. What I love about those is that you feel so much intimacy and tension, the way one tiny thing could make everything fall apart. I have On Chisel Beach on my radar already, and Normal People by Sally Rooney came close to what I'm hoping for. Okay, I picked The Interestings by Meg Wallitzer, which is like 70% intellectual conversations and 30% relationships that could fall apart at any point. So I think this will really scratch this itch for you. Uh, the book opens in the 70s, I'm pretty sure, at an arts camp, uh, like a teenager summer camp um, for, for artsy kids. And you're following six kids who become inseparable at this summer camp. They call themselves the interestings, and they are kind of like your typical insufferable, smart, talented teenagers, of which... Many of my friends, myself included, were <laughs> like these really insufferable kind of uh, every thought I have is so original, but in fact, 45 million people have said it before me kind of thing. Um, and then you follow them as they grow up from being teenagers with these big dreams of using their art to become successful and change the world. Um, and for some of the people in the group, that becomes true, but for most of them, it doesn't. So the, the real main character is Jewel. She wants to be an actress when she's at this camp, and she realizes that she's not actually necessarily as talented as the other members of her friend group, and she grows up to be a nurse. Um, she like kind of abandons her dreams. She realizes it's not going to happen, and so that's what she decides to do. But two of the people in the group, Ethan and Ash, they get married and become super, super wealthy. I'm pretty sure the... Um, Ethan becomes an illustrator for like a, a Pixar kind of company in the book. They become, you know, bajillionaires. Uh, and all of the other characters have to deal with being friends with someone who has achieved what they have not and probably will never achieve. And learning the value of like being a creative person with original thoughts as an adult, even if you don't have the monetary, you know, like... Um, not shenanigans, that's not accolades, even if you don't have the, the accolades or the financial approval of the world, like that your thoughts and your, your creativity still matters, um, even if you have to take like a quote-unquote normal kind of job and live like a normal life. So it is a lot about the juxtaposition between art and capitalism and success and then art for its own sake and which of those is like better? Is there a better? I don't know. Um, but they, they have, you know, this friend group of six people have, they have these petty jealousies, jealousies and romances and um, they, eventually they have children and then there's that kind of competition between not just my career and yours, but like my kid and your kid, which is a whole other level of uh, nuttiness that really, really high powered, like 
um, high performing people can can like project on their children. So all of them in this book, they're all projecting it all over all the children. Um, several generations of angst. So that's the interesting <laughs> by Meg Wallitzer. I think that's our show title right there. <laughs> several generations of angst. Just so much angst. I love it. Or er- way to get angst. <laughs> um, I picked a separation by Katie Kitamura, which is a really sort of quiet small novel in which not so much happens, but I felt very tense the entire time. Um, And you mentioned you liked, you know, this feeling of intimacy and tension. And like, that is exactly what I think of when I think of this book. Um, It is narrated by an unnamed woman who is in the process of being separated from her husband who has cheated on her pretty much repeatedly. Um, But nobody knows yet. It's like they've kept it very quiet. They're both very private people. And like his parents don't know. Like they haven't told anybody. Um, But she is actually already dating somebody else. So he's off doing whatever as far as she's concerned. And she's sort of getting ready to make things finalized when she gets a call that he's gone missing um and since nobody knows it's she's like oh shoot like I guess I have to go look for him because <laughs> to all intents and purposes we're still married like everybody thinks we're married and nobody knows and this is really awkward for me to be like actually I don't care if he's missing because <laughs> so she goes to Greece which is the last place anybody knew he was and she's looking around to try to figure out like what has happened here um And it's a lot of her like thinking about their life together and thinking about, you know, what, how their relationship started, what it was like, you know, how it's ending and how she's looking forward to um, like, you know, moving on. And then, and I don't think this is a spoiler, like this is not really spoilery. He turns up dead. And so now she has to like figure out like okay so am I a grieving widow like who am I what am I what's going on here um and and how does this change my plan for my life and what I was intending to do and it's so fraught because it's all just these small interactions that are heightened by emotion and by like her not knowing how to tell anybody the context of what is happening now. Um, So it's very thinky. It's a lot of conversations where people are like sort of not actually communicating with each other. They're like talking past each other and trying to figure out how to be like people to each other. Um, And I think Kitamore is an amazing writer. I've been reading her for a while now. And I just thought this book was so interesting. It was so tense. It was so like thoughtful about what intimacy looks like and the things we tell and don't tell people outside of our relationships. So again, that is a separation by Katie Kitamura. All right, let's see. Our next question is from Jesse, who says, I have loved the Dana, excuse me, Dana Stabenow Cat Shugak Mysteries. Though I love her series, I would love a recommendation for a Native American own voices author from Alaska or Northwestern Canada. I prefer fiction and it does not have to be mystery. Um, Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked Two Old Women by Velma Wallace. I love this book so much. Velma Wallace is from Alaska. She was born in a village in Fort Yukon. She is an Athabascan Indian, excuse me. And this book is based on an Athabascan legend that's been passed down from, specifically from mothers to daughters in the upper Yukon River Valley. So um, it's so, it's like so deeply satisfying to read, especially right now. It's about two 
older women, like two old women, obviously, because it's in the title, whose tribe abandons them during a winter famine. Um, because they, you know, they're not contributing and they're just taking up resources. So they leave them in uh, the place where they're currently camped. Uh, they leave them there and they move along and just like leave them there to die, basically. And these, then you, you follow these two old women as they decide like, you know what? Bump that. <laughs> like, we're not going to be left here to die. So they like make their own camp. They reteach themselves how to hunt. They reteach themselves all of these skills they've not had to use in a very, very long time because their children and their children's children have been taking care of them for so long. Um, so they like re, not relearn, they remember all these skills that they had as young women and take care of each other and themselves. And in doing so, they create this home, like a homestead um, where they can survive for pretty much however long they need to. Uh, and then the tribe comes back because they feel bad. <laughs> Essentially, they like have a big change of heart um, they're not having any luck finding food uh, themselves after they left. And so they decide, like, well, obviously we made a big mistake and are being punished for it. Let's go back and find the old woman that we've left. Uh, and then you follow the story from there as they expect to find them dead or dying. But in reality, find them, like, completely flourishing and super best friends with, like, tons of food and imperfect, like, comfort and health. Um, it, it's just, like, yes, right in the heart. It's so good. So that's Two Old Women by Velma Wallace. I need to read that immediately. <laughs> it's very satisfying. It's so satisfying. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Sold. Um, I I read this book, but I want to shout out Jessica and Michelle, contributors who recommended it to me. It is so, it's so perfect for this question. Uh, well, mostly perfect. It actually takes place in northeastern Canada, <laughs> northwestern, <laughs> but still, um, it's amazing. Um, and they recommended it to me, and then I read it, and I loved it. It's Moon of the Crested Snow by Wabgishik Rice. Um, he is, uh, like, this is based on his own experiences growing up in an um, Anishinaabe uh, community, and it takes place in sort of... Like they they reference Toronto as the closest city, but it's clearly like up much farther north than that. Um, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a mid apocalypse story. It's a little bit of like a folklore influenced story, but it's a very light touch of sort of yeah fable fabulous or folklore influences. Um, and it takes place in this community, uh, an Anishinaabe community, um, where winter is coming on. And suddenly all of their communications with the outside world go down. Like first, you know, the satellite TV stops working and then cell service stops working and then landlines stop working. And then their power that comes from like the hydro dam also stops working. And they're just kind of like initially they're like, well, this happens all the time. Like we live way in the north, you know, on a First Nation reserve. Like this is not super unusual. But when they continue not to get any word from the outside world, they start to get worried. And the weather starts to come on and there's snow and it's just like, all right, like what what's first of all what's happening second of all are we going to make it through the winter like and and so you follow this one specific character and his family Evan um his wife is Nicole and they have two daughter or two children excuse me one daughter and one son 
And they're sort of younger, but they have been, you know, learning the old ways from the elders of the tribe. And, you know, like the first scene is of Evan hunting and, you know, working on, you know, putting away enough meat because um, he doesn't want to have to rely on like canned goods all winter. And, you know, they, they're familiar with the old ways. They're learning more. Um, and there are some elders in the community who have a lot of this like native knowledge. But there's also people who are just like, you know, doing modern life and are like, where is my cell phone? Where is my TV? What is going on? Um, and so and the book just gets eerier and eerier from there. You're, it, it's so tense, even though like and there is eventually some action sequences like think like the tension just builds and builds and builds towards the end of the book but it's a lot of these beautiful sort of moments of like sitting with your kids around the dinner table and you can only use one light bulb because you don't want the diesel generators to run out of diesel when no trucks are coming to refresh it and like what is what is that like especially if you're a part of a first nations community so it's really atmospheric um it reminded me of the question we got a few shows ago where like stuck in a blizzard you know books this is definitely a stuck in a blizzard book um and yeah it like builds really beautifully to the final showdown and i just i tore through this book i read the whole thing yesterday like i just read the whole thing yesterday um and i thought it was great and it just came out it, uh and, well it's an october book so it's november now who knew um but it's very recently published you should all go find it again that's moon of the crested snow by wabgishik rice all right. Question four is from Sarah, who says, I'm looking for recommendations for my school's book club. We are a group of high school educators who enjoy reading broadly. So we've tried to have books that delve into different departments' interests, like The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks for Science or Homegoing by Yad Jesse for History. I would love some book recs where the text is heavenly, heavily, heavenly, heavily influenced by art or music to better represent those departments. Bonus points for diverse authors or perspectives. In the past, we've also loved Station Eleven, Enrique's Journey, the Nightingale, Educated, and the Storied Life of A.J. Vickery. Okay, first of all, what a great book club mm. idea. Like, I love that you do a different book for each department. That's so smart and, like, just very sweet. Okay, so I picked a book for the musicians, and that is Nocturnes by Kazuo Ishiguro. And I picked this because it's actually a collection of, like, linked short stories. I think there are five in the book. And the subtitle is Five Stories of Music and Nightfall, which is just so, it's just so soothing and nice. Um... But I think that short story collections are such a great uh, conversation piece for book clubs because they're they're really like five individual, even though these are linked in the book, but they're like five individual pieces of art that you can talk about on their own and then also how they worked together. So there's always a lot of conversation fodder in a collection of short stories. Um, and each of the one, each of the short stories in this book is somehow about music or musicians. And in like true Ishiguro fashion, they're all like very melancholy. Um, and sad <laughs> and mostly about like sad people having sad feelings <laughs> at each other and very like small moments in people's lives where they're sad um but also like lovely and beautiful this is the thing that he does so well and I haven't been able to figure out it's like reading Ishiguro is like listening to a really sad cello arrangement like it's mm. just now I need to sit down and cry and I have no reason like I'm perfectly happy I just feel so sad in my heart now um but if y'all read this and like can figure out how he's doing that, please 
write me an email and let me know because it's fascinating. I don't want to go into the plot of like, you know, each individual short story or whatever. Suffice it to say, every single one is about music and is sad, sad, sad. So that's Nocturnes by Kazuo Ishiguro. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Super sad. <laughs> awesome. Um, my recommendation uh, comes with a trigger warning for rape and I am going to have to get into it because of the topic of the book. So if you do not want to hear about that, probably want to skip ahead. Um, my rec is Bloodwater Paint by Joy McCullough, which is about Artemisia Gentileschi. Um, if you are familiar with your story, you already know, with her story, excuse me, you already know where this is going. She was a, a young woman um, in the 1600s in Rome who was an incredibly talented painter, um, taught by her father because he like didn't have any other apprentices and actually did a lot of his painting for him. Um, and she is... she. First of all, she's an amazing painter. Like, if you've never looked up her work, go forth and look it up. Um, but this is a novel that tells the story of her rape and subsequent trial um, against her rapist. Uh, and it is really interestingly structured. It is written both in sort of poetry and prose. There's two sort of intersecting... Uh, threads. There's Artemisia telling her story, which is the poetry bits. And then there is sort of these uh, interstitial prose sections that are her mother telling a younger version of her a story, um, specifically about Susanna and the Elders and Judith and Holofernes, which are her two probably most famous paintings. Um, And uh, Artemisia's mother died uh, when she was young, when she was six, I believe. And so, um, so these are like these are weird stories to be telling a six-year-old, like not not great stories. Um, but I think it makes sense in in terms of the structure of the book and what uh, McCullough is doing here by weaving the stories of Susanna and Judith into Artemisia's own story. Like it makes perfect sense, I think, by the end of the book. Um, but it's an interesting stylistic choice, and I think definitely for a book club, there's a lot of my you can get out of this book. First of all, it's obviously very emotional and very intense. Um, and there is just, it is suffused with art and, you know, the process of like grinding pigments to make the paint and treating the canvases and what it's like to be a painter, both when you are feeling, you know, the fire of creativity and when you're not. Um, and then, of course, it's incredibly sad uh, and horrifying to read about what, you know, this envisioning of what what it was like um, to be raped by her teacher that her father brought in um, and then to decide to take him to court. Um her father, I mean, the only way they could take him to court was for her father to sue for damage to his property, his daughter. Um, and they tortured Artemisia on the stand to, like, demonstrate that she was telling the truth. They just didn't believe her until she had been tortured. Um, and so, you know, all of that is the context for this story. And I thought it was really interesting. I'm I'm a bit familiar with Artemisia's story. I've seen a movie and read a little bit of the nonfiction works on this. And so I had some context. I think it would be interesting to see, you know, what the group's familiarity with is. And um, if somebody is very familiar, you know, they could sort of maybe bring in some outside source material to, like, compare and contrast like how the novel treats the story versus how the nonfiction works um 
And the author does talk about her research at the end of the book, so that's certainly part of it as well. So I think there's, yeah, there's a ton of things you can discuss. You can discuss the structure and the style choices and the actual story, re-envisioning Artemisia's life. Um, there's a lot going on here. It is a very... Um, fluid reading experience like it's a really dark material but she I think McCall moves you through it very smartly and uh, smoothly and so I appreciated that about it because it's not it's it's really heavy subject but yeah it was I thought it was a really interesting way that she dealt with it so again that's Bloodwater Paint by Joy McCullough all right. Oh, time for our next sponsor, which is uh, Flatiron Books. They are the publishers of Frankie. Uh, it's a genre-hopping, darkly funny novel about searching for the truth, finding yourself, and falling in love. It was an award-winning debut novel by Siobhan Plaza, and it is now in paperback, which is always exciting, especially going into the holiday season when you're trying to conserve mm -hmm. money for funds, like for presents. Like, get yourself a paperback. Um, so if you like gutsy characters with a bit of an edge, then look no further. Uh, Frankie is looking for the truth about her family and her life and finding the courage for love. So thank you again to Flatiron Books, publishers of Frankie, for sponsoring the show. Question five is from Heather, who says, I'm usually in the car for about an hour. My difficulty is finding something that I enjoy, but that is also appropriate for my kids to listen to. They're two and a half and four, but are very observant and like to mimic what they hear. So far, I've listened to Blackout by Connie Willis and The Girl in the Tower by Catherine Arden. I love fantasy, sci-fi, historical fiction, and mystery. Any recommendations you have would be awesome. This question cracked me up. I feel these feelings. <laughs> this is a ongoing struggle uh, with me in the car. My kids, my twins are seven, but okay. So I, sorry, I interrupted you. Did you want to go first? No, that was it. I was okay. just like, I can deeply see the problem with like trying to listen to an adult book. That's clean enough for like toddlers to mimic. Yes. Yeah. But also like interesting. So I picked a book that I listened to with my kids in the car when they were, I think five. And that is the graveyard book by Neil Gaiman. Um, and this is a fantasy, like urban fantasy novel about a boy who, at the start of the book, I will say his family is murdered. <laughs> um, and But it's not like graphic or anything. And I'm pretty sure it's going to, it went over my kids' heads when they were five. I had to like re-explain that bit to them. And I just said like, well, I told them what happened, but there was, they were not like traumatized. Um, so his family is murdered. This little boy's family is murdered and he wanders out of the house while it's happening, it ends up in a graveyard um, where the ghosts and other, you know, supernatural beasties who live there take him in and agree as a community that they're going to raise him as, you know, like a member of their family in this graveyard. They name him Nobody and they call him Bod. And he's just like, they teach him how to read. <laughs> like they send... Um, not avatars, but they send like represent like a representative out into the world to get him food and diapers and all. And he's you know raised as like a kind of solitary kid amongst all these ghosts, knowing that out there in the world is um, is the man who killed his family who is looking for him. And if he ever leaves the graveyard, there's always this danger that this really dangerous guy is going to find him. Um, but of course, he's a little boy and like cannot be contained. And eventually, other people come into the graveyard and use it as like a picnic area. He starts meeting. Um, other kids and making friends and asking questions and I'm sure you can imagine where this goes um, but so it's like it's a little dark and it's a little creepy in that Neil Gaiman kind of way but there's no there's no like cursing there's no you know I, there's nothing that I think 
a kid could pick up from that book and then say to another adult, that adult would be like shocked at your parenting, you know, which is like a real concern, um, especially if you happen to curse a lot. But I don't think that's the thing with this, with this book, but it's still kind of a kid's book. So it's like engaging enough to keep the other people in your car interested in the plot. And since it is about a little kid, I feel like that that always helps get my children more interested in a, in a thing that I'm listening to if one of the main characters or the main character is about someone who is close to their age. So that's The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman, who reads it and has a very excellent, like he's got a great audiobook voice. Nice. Um, I picked The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty um, because I was trying to think of like a, like I was thinking about Blackout and The Girl in the Tower. I was like, okay, so like grown up genre fiction that doesn't have any cursing or like graphic language or content which is tricky but very doable um and I thought this one might be really fun um and the bits that your kids might experience are probably fine um like that they actually register um it's about a young woman named Nari who uh lives in 18th century Cairo and she is like a you know she's a con woman um she does like palm readings and like but it's not like she doesn't think she has real mystical talent she's just kind of faking people out um and she's swindling these nobles you know right and left um and then she acts during the course of like quote-unquote faking her way through a ceremony to get paid she accidentally summons an actual jinn warrior and is now like, wall shoot, whoops, like, I guess magic is real and I can do some. And now this is everything's terrible because also in the course of summoning this djinn, she has brought herself to the attention of the supernatural world. And now like zombies are trying to get her and she has to flee Cairo and everything's a mess. Um, so she ends up on this epic adventure to this city of brass um, where she is like, perhaps prophetically destined to go. And uh, I don't want to give too much of the plot away because it's really fun to experience the twists and turns of Nari's story. Um, it's very, like, she's such a scrappy narrator. She is so, like, sharp and sort of not having so much of this but doesn't really have a choice like there's only so much you can do when ghouls are chasing you like you kind of have to go with the djinn who's going to protect you like what else are you going to do um and there's court politics and you know there's the feuding families and there's some you know like class issues and different you know warring tribes and all of this stuff um there's a lot going on but i i don't recall anything that i think would be super bad <clears throat> excuse me for a four-year-old to like repeat ad nauseum at their next you know play date um i don't think so so uh again that is the city of brass by s.a chakraborty and then if you like it the sequel uh is out soon not too far or in the future yeah i just got a galley so yeah i think it's january soon. so you know there's more coming um Oh, and uh, the author, Shannon Chakraborty, is, uh, she is a Muslim, so it's religiously owned voices. Um, so yeah, that's my pick. All right. Question six is from Books for Space Dad. <laughs> so my dad loves traditional sci-fi. Heinlein is his favorite author ever, but he also enjoys Salazny, Asimov, etc. I'm hoping to find new authors for him and have had some success with The Expanse, The Martian, and books by Elizabeth Moon. However, the Boru, 
Vorkosigan. Vorkosigan? I have never said that out loud. The Vorkosigan books, the Murderbot Diaries, Red Mars, and the Honor Harrington books fell flat for him. Do you have suggestions for modern books in the classic sci-fi style? We do. We do as a matter of fact. Um, I picked The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cowell, which is pretty new. It came out, yeah, last year. And there, the second book is coming out next year, I'm pretty sure. No, it came out this year. Um, and I picked this one because it takes place in the 50s and is very much of that kind of classic sci-fi tone and feeling of like robots and astronauts and, you know, rocket ships and that kind of stuff that they were considering in that time period, but also that like The Expanse and The Martian are also still talking about. Um, so I think that this will ring his bells. It takes place in the 50s, like I said, and this uh, a huge meteorite hits Earth and, you know, humanity is doomed, basically. Um, the Earth is soon going to become inhospitable. And so um, colonizing space has become the focus of science and the government and everyone because we need to get, you know, we need to GTFO because <laughs> we're all going to die. And so the main character's name is Elma and she works in the International Aerospace Coalition and she's a mathematician, she's a pilot, and is helping uh, figure out how to get people into space so that we can like get off this rock and survive as a species. But she soon becomes a little like confused about why she can't go to space. Like I am writing, like I'm doing all the math to help get us there. I know how to fly the thing. Why can't I go? So she becomes, uh, she like decides that her goal is to become the first lady astronaut. Um, and she has to fight like societal conventions that are existing that are standing in the way of this happening, even though, like, if we don't get off this planet, we're all going to die. But sexism, you know, it's like very frustrating, but also very, um, I don't know, like fun. And you, the, on page one, the meteor hits the earth. So you are dropped like in meteor race, you hit the ground running and it's super fast paced, but also considering all these kind of really deep philosophical questions about what it means to be a person and what humanity's choices and prejudices are keeping us from being able to achieve, which is, I think, really the main thing that Asimov and Heinlein in their own ways were, were, were asking. So that's The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cowell. I picked a book I just read recently called Waypoint Kangaroo by Curtis C. Chen. I thought this book was so much fun. Um, and it is like a little bit of a James Bond in outer space, except like with a little bit of that Martian style humor. Um, I think it's really enjoyable and I hope that your dad will like it also because it does lean into the tech side of things. Like there's a bunch of stuff that was like, I just kind of honest, quite frankly skimmed because when you get too sciencey, I'm just like, mm -hmm, like moving on. Um, but I think if you like science and you like to think about the science of how these, you know, science fictional things might be possible, which maybe your dad does. I think that he might enjoy that bit. Um, so Waypoint Kangaroo is about a secret agent who goes by Kangaroo and he has like, you know, agency training, but he is also like the only super powered agent in uh, that anybody is aware of. And his superpower is that he has access to this thing he calls the pocket, which is an empty, like parallel universe that he literally can like put things into and take them again out of. Um, so he can stash like 
ice cream and, you know, secret spy stuff like a rocket blaster, like whatever he wants, basically. People, he could put them into this, you know, deep space pocket that he has access to. Um, And so, of course, the government is like, great, we are going to use you for things. Um, And he is on a mission when the book opens up that he is like, he is screwing the pooch on this mission. Like it is not going well and he knows he's going to get chewed out when he gets back to headquarters for bungling it and lo and behold he does but then on top of that um there's like a congressional review and people are asking questions now about this department that has previously operated with very little oversight so his boss is like listen I'm packing you off on a cruise ship to Mars. Get out of the way. Like, I don't want you here while this review is going on. Just go be on vacation um, while we handle this. And he resents this. He's like, why? I can help. What? But he's like, all right, fine. So he gets sent away. And of course, immediately is like, well, that person's suspicious. And what is this going on? And it's like, he can't relax. Um, and he is such a like funny narrator because he's so, he's like a little bit doofy. Like he's got a really ridiculous sense of humor and, you know, also is a little bit aggrieved and sees like threats everywhere that may or may not be real. And then of course, strange things start to go down on the cruise ship to Mars. Um, there is a murder that like, a, like a locked cruise spaceship murder. Like wh- nobody knows how it happened or who killed this, this family and what's going on. And, Everything kind of goes from there. Um, and I just, yeah, it's a really enjoyable. Like, it's a page turner. It's 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 just fun. It's just fun. Um, and I think, you know, it, it definitely leans into that hard sci-fi tradition, but with that sense of humor. So hopefully that will tickle your dad's fancy. Um, and it is the first in a series. The second book is out. So if he likes it, there's more. So again, that is Waypoint Kangaroo by Curtis C. Chen. All right, our last question is from Mild Mannered Modern Reader. We had some good, like, anonymous yes. tagline uh, asker names in this episode. I'm into it. Um, so, this person asks I'm wondering if you know of any books similar to the Victorian sensation novels, such as Lady Audley's Secret, Wilkie's. Wilkie Collins's books, but which reflect modern values. I'm completely charmed by the trope that I call mild-mannered Victorian gentleman reluctantly and or accidentally solves a crime that isn't gritty over the top, but still has a lot of unforeseen twists. However, I've grown so tired of books that only have straight white characters. Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Did you ask this just to make Amanda's week? Like, did you... Because I think you might have. <laughs> I love this question so much. I love it so much. Um, okay, I actually took this to the contributors because I was, I had a lot of, suge- anyway, I took it to the contributors. And Jamie Canavase, who writes our mystery thriller newsletter, recommended The Impossible Girl by Lydia Kang. And this, I think, I picked, so I picked that one because it just sounded like way better than anything I could come up with. Um, so it takes place in New York in 1850. And the main character's name is Cora. And she was born out of wedlock to a immigrant who, like a nameless immigrant and a wealthy socialite. And so she can, because of her upbringing, 
kind of lives in both worlds. She can hang out in like the slums of New York and, you know, never be noticed, but she can also mingle with like the super rich of Manhattan and be perfectly at home. So she's also the only female resurrectionist in New York, meaning she's like a grave digger, like a grave robber. She has made this niche for herself where she provides bodies that have been buried who, where the people died of like very odd or rare illnesses and so anatomists that weren't really like surgeons or, or doctors necessarily uh, as we imagine them now in 1850 but anatomists pay a lot of money for these um, cadavers so that they can dissect them and display them um, and you know study them for science so this is what she does for a living and she's like making pretty good bank but she also has to stay in that world because she herself has two hearts. She was born with this physical anomaly of having two hearts. And it is like, she is the most sought after amongst grave robbers. Like if a grave robber could find her, like find out her secret uh, and kill her basically for the money and then sell her body to these anatomists, they would make a fortune and could, you know, retire forever and move to Costa Rica or whatever. Um, and so she is like, she's a grave robber both for the bank, but also for the like self-defense nature of it. Of, like making sure that there aren't any rumors circulating about a mysterious girl with two hearts living in New York. Um, but then a bunch of murders, <laughs> murders happen. And they, they get like more and more related to her and like closer and closer to her as a person. And she starts to distrust everyone she knows, including her love interest, who is, you know, like a strapping young medical student. Um, and she realizes that like, she is the target. So there's this, there's the mystery of like solving these actual murders. And she's very much a like, I, like, I did not intend to get involved in any kind of crime solving. I just would like to not be murdered. Um, so she's not a gentleman, but she is a, ge a gentle woman and not necessarily here for what's happening in this book to her. So that is The Impossible Girl by Lydia Kang. I took this, I have a friend, Ellen, who works for Orbit Books, um, shout out to Ellen, and I, we're part of a publishing Slack together, and I took this to her because I knew that this was, like, also, this is the white hot fire, like, set core of her wheelhouse, um, and she recommended to me, which I have from the library but did not get to before the recording, but I'm gonna read it ASAP because she sold it so hard. It's Daughter of Mystery by Heather Rose Jones, which she described as an alternate history slash fantasy slash pseudo-Victorian lesbian romance that also has a mystery <laughs> at the center and takes place in our world but in a fictional European country and like with magic like what that just sounds like the best thing ever um, the main character Marguerite uh, has inherited a baron's fortunes and his bodyguard who is a woman named Barbara who is a feared duelist um, and Marguerite is now like a highly eligible heiress, which she has like not been prepared for. Um, but she didn't inherit the title. And so she's got all the money. Uh, this new baron has the title. And so he's definitely like got it in for her. Um, and Barbara is really bitter that like now like like she has basically been disposed of in a will to be inherited by this person she doesn't know. But she's like, well, I guess I have to guard this woman. Um, and you can imagine what happens 
next. So this is the first in a series. Um, it sounds amazing and I need to read it immediately. And I thought it might suit you as well. So again, that's Daughter of Mystery by Heather Rose Jones. Can you hear so like stupid. it just started thundering and pouring here? It is truly no. a Victorian Gothic day outside of my window. Suddenly yes. very atmospheric. Take your umbrella. Yeah, seriously. Pennsylvania. By the time you hear this. It'll be too late, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our show. (laughs) It'll be too late. And on that note, we're done. (laughs) Thank y'all so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show, including Book Riot Insiders. Go check that out. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That is Jen with two N's IRL. We will talk to y'all next week. 